Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. I remember uh, um, one of uh, one memorable scene in um, uh, a movie. Uh, some of you guys have seen the movie Braveheart. This is not an endorsement of the movie. Uh, I remember we watched it in movies class whenever I was in high school. And you're like, David, you went to a high school where you watched the movies? I did. That should tell you the quality. We had a 33% graduation rate. Rock that. Um, and uh, I remember one of the movies that we watched was Braveheart. And uh, towards the end... Um, uh, one of the things that you see is the Scottish fighting for their independence and their freedom from the British. And uh, one of the most memorable scenes in the movie, I remember it like, like it's, like, I mean, literally like it's yesterday. A soldier, like he, William Wallace, that's the main character played by Mel Gibson. He's trying to, like, stir up the army to fight because they don't want to fight. They want to run. All right, they want to tuck tail and run. So basically, William Wallace comes along and he's like, hey, who's with me? And one of the soldiers says, fight against the British? No. <laughs> We will run, and we will live. And I love it. I loved what he says in, in response. He says, okay, fight and you may die. Run and you'll live, at least for a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives but they'll never take our freedom. And, like, if you saw that movie in the theaters, like, you watched Mel Gibson do that, and, like, you were ready to go to war with Britain. Like, like, you, like that war's been done. You were, like, ready. Like, you saw, you're like, man, it was such a powerful thing. But the whole movie revolved around this idea of freedom, which is something that we have a lot of talk on. If you turn on the evening news, you'll hear freedoms, 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 religious freedoms, American freedoms, one of the things that we as Americans truly know about, or at least one of the things that we really talk about a lot, is our freedoms. And it's interesting because freedom actually has a huge role, not just in America. It actually has a huge role in the whole Bible's story. This is what we're going to get to today. And one of the things we're going to do, we're going to take a look just by reading verses 1 and 2. But before we read 1 and 2 again, one of the things, maybe you haven't been here. Maybe you're like, David, Galatians, like you read that. I'm kind of lost. What's going on? So here's basically the 45-second gist of what's gone on so far. So Paul, he's a guy who used to kill Christians, persecute Christians. The Lord has now saved him. He has become a Christian. He goes into a church, into a context that is completely opposite of the one he grew up in. So this is, for instance, like Tony going up to, like, Manhattan, like, and preaching the gospel up there. Or, like, this, this would be, for instance, like Dylan, like, moving over to, like, inner-city L.A. Like, some of you... Think of it like this. Some of you maybe are homeschooled. This is like you, a homeschooler, going into a major urban, like maybe a, 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 an area that has lots of like gang activity, all right? And what happens? You would think, oh man, he would have no effectiveness there. And what happens? He preaches the gospel to them. And guess what? These people respond to the gospel. They become Christians. They leave their old life behind. And their life is changed forever. So Paul, 
after teaching these guys, goes on and takes this message of Christianity over to other cities. But here's the thing. One of the things that happens after that is some false teachers come into this church and start preaching things to this church, saying that, like, oh, yeah, like, Paul is, like, endorsed this. Like, this is, like, oh, you didn't hear this from him? We're just filling in the gaps. Maybe he forgot it. And Paul's writing, he said, that ain't true. I didn't forget that. I didn't forget anything. And what they're telling you is just a bunch of made-up junk. If you believe, it'll destroy you. So here's what he does. So take a look. We'll read verses 1 and 2 again. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He's closing towards the end. He's now pleading with them. He is pleading with these people. He says this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Christ will be of no advantage to you. Point number one today. God gives human beings something beyond their wildest dreams. What he gives them is true freedom. Here's one of the things that we see as we read this today. Paul starts with one statement that's going to totally catch you off guard. And he starts with one statement that you would actually expect. Let's take a look at the one you expect. Look at verse 1 again. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Paul's message to them is this. God has set you free for the sake of freedom. Some of you are like, well, duh. Like, come on, like, isn't that kind of like, like, isn't that like old news? Like, isn't, isn't that something like we, we all know? Let me put it like this. Some of you guys know, um, like, so I got a dog about a week and a half ago. His name is Huckleberry. You can call him Huck, the Incredible Huck, um, Hucklebucky, um, anything you want to call him. So, uh, but one of the things about this dog is uh, I got him right after he'd been fixed. So I'm driving him home from Pensacola. And um, this dog is afraid to do anything, which I would be too if someone made me have surgery and then stuck me in the back of a car for four hours. I would not trust them either. And it's interesting. As I work through the week with this dog, um, I'm trying to get him to come inside for the first time. He will not come inside. Absolutely refuses. Thinks I'm kidnapping him. He's got an open wound. And I'm like, dog. I'm like, reason with me here, buddy. Here, here, you, you are going to be hurt if you stay out here. And he's just like, I try to pick him up. And if you guys have ever tried to pick up a big, big dog before, they just like put all their weight down. So I'm like dragging him into the house and I finally get him on the floor and he like sprawls out on the floor, right? Right in the way of the door. So I can't close the door. So I have to drag him across the floor. Finally, I get him in and he's like shell shocked. I try to get him to come over to the carpet because I'm like, that's going to be easier on your wound, buddy. So I finally get him over to the carpet. For the next two days, he will not leave the carpet. He thinks that's where life is found, and any of the wood floor is like lava to him. He is literally not having any of it. Finally, he gets used to that. Now I'm trying to take him all over the house. He refuses to explore. He like stays in one room. I try to take him for a ride two days ago. I had to, like, yank him in the car, and he was about to pee on my seat. So I'm like, okay, we're going to have to work through this. All that to say, I got this dog, and I'm looking at this dog, and I'm like, dog, I want your good. 
Like, I've got a good dream for you, man. Like, you're cruising down the road. Your six-foot tongue is hanging out the door, like, wagging in the wind. Like, you're hanging out in your backyard, playing with balls. Like, like and you want to be on the carpet. It's funny because I remember one of the very things I thought this week. All of us, we, we, I think if you've spent any time in church gatherings, one of the things you'll notice, we talk a lot about freedom, those type of things. And I think it's something that we take for granted. We think, oh, yeah, Christ, Christ has set me free. Here's one of the things, though. I think if we actually took a look and examined our lives, somewhere deep inside of us, I think we actually believe the opposite. I think we believe that God might constrain our lives. You know, when obedience actually begins to look like, I mean, I don't really want to do that. And I think that is true of every human being. No matter if you grew up in a church context, if you grew up not in a church context, I think every single human being, and I think we see this in the scripture, every single human being is born with a natural distrust towards God. Where is freedom found? It's not in God. In our hearts and hearts, it's probably with us in control. It's probably with us calling the shots. Verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So here's what happens. An entire world believes that. Like, like we... You go to any other religion, that's, that's like taken for granted. When people suffer, they're like, oh man, the gods are angry with me. He's got something against me. I better not do. Why? Because human beings, we naturally have that idea that God somehow is not giving us freedom. He's actually constraining our freedom. Even if we would never say it out loud. Those are the things that we believe Those are the things. Some of you still might not be convinced. You're like, David, I don't do that. Let's just do a test. All right. So, so uh, when horrible things happen to you, um, let me ask you, how many of you, not showing hands or anything like that, how many of you have ever asked, why God? Now, let me ask you, something great happened to you. How many of you have ever asked, why God? That doesn't happen, does it? You take the good stuff for granted. Why? Because life's going right. You feel like you're in control. And the minute that you don't, and the minute that we don't, What do we do? Our heart naturally slips into distrust. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So what is God's response? What is God's response to an entire human race that naturally has a distrust towards him? What he does is he actually comes in flesh himself and he sets the record straight. He comes himself and he sets the record straight. He even shadows this point. Think, what is God's like first work in the Old Testament on, on, a, on a corporate basis that he does for a ton of people? What does he do? He leaves them out of slavery. Notice what he says here. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Here's what he's talking about. It's not these guys. It's not that these guys used to be slaves. Here's what he's saying with Don't do this. Don't venture back into this. If you do so, what you're going to be doing, though it feels like you have control of your life, you are actually submitting to slavery all over again when Christ has actually set you free. 
that a life with Jesus Christ in absolute control, in absolute reigning, is actually freedom. It's not when we're in control and when we feel safe. That God comes and what he does is he sets the record straight. So we would expect that. But notice, what, is it, what does it say? Notice the very next thing. Those of you who maybe, you're not, you, you haven't come to maybe a lot of church gatherings before, this is going to be a line you would never expect someone in the Bible to actually write. Look what Paul says. Look, I, verse 2, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. What does Paul say? He essentially says, you know what Jesus will do for you guys? Nothing. You're like, David, like, I I wasn't expecting to come and hear that this morning. Like, I usually come to church, and I I come to church gatherings thinking like, oh, like, like, God will do this for you, and God will do this for you, and God will do this for you, and God will do this for you. And Paul comes to these Galatians and says, if you accept circumcision, you know what God will actually do for you? What, What Jesus Christ will actually accomplish for you? Nothing. And it's not because he can accomplish something. And it's not because... God doesn't change people because he actually does. So why does Paul do this? Why does he say, oh, you know what Jesus is going to do for you? Absolutely nothing. Keep on reading. He gives the answer. Verse 2, look, Paul, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Maybe you've actually heard this over and over again. Maybe you've been... And, and, and among us, as we've been preaching through, like, Galatians, you've heard circumcision, circumcision, circumcision a lot, okay? Briefly, what it is, and as least graphic as, as possible, it's the removal of skin, some skin, from a, from a male's reproductive organ. That's what it is, okay? And you might be like, well, David, what, what's the deal? Why is it such a big—why is he talking about this over and over again? Here's why. Because in the Old Testament, the biggest sign— of the people of God, the sign that God gave his people that marked them off from the rest of all the other nations saying, these are my people, this is my nation, is all their males. Every single one of them would be circumcised. That wouldn't happen in other nations. Usually only the priests in other nations would be circumcised. But here you have a whole group of people, a whole nation, who's circumcised. But here's the problem. That was one of God's ways, one of many, to mark his people off. But here's what happened. Over time, they mistook that sign that they were God's people being circumcised for the reason why they were God's people. The reason why God was pleased with them. So why was God pleased with them? In their minds, it was, oh, because we're circumcised. How can God, how, how, how is God pleased with us? Well, at this point, what these false teachers are saying, it is Jesus and what he did, but it's also you following the Old Testament rules, circumcision, and all of that too. What these teachers are saying is Jesus is good, but here's the thing. You actually have to come to God with something else in your hands, and that something else for them was the Old Testament rules and regulations, and especially circumcision. And what Paul says to that, he says, if you approach God like that, if you approach Jesus Christ like that, he will do nothing for you. 
You might be thinking, David, it's a good thing that we don't do that today. It's interesting. Though this isn't done per se, I think it's still living and active, guys, in all of us. I think the natural reaction, guys, is us as human beings. We naturally, we're thinking, okay, Jesus is okay, but there's something in us that wants to approach God with something in our hands. We like, like, Lord, I know you saved me, and this is how it usually goes. Okay, Jesus saved me, all that. Now it's up to me for the rest of my life. I got to live obediently. I got to do this. 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 Now it's kind of up to me from here. And I hope I don't disappoint God. And what Paul is saying is that is a terrible way to live. And it's actually the opposite of the gospel. The human beings, we naturally approach God with something in our hands. Why do we do that? I thought about this a ton this week, and I think there's a reason. I think we always approach God with some, some kind of good works in our hands because, honestly, if we think about it, we all have something in our pocket that we want him to do. And if we bring something to the table, maybe he'll do it. You come to Jesus so that he'll heal your marriage. You come to Jesus so that you'll find a spouse. You'll, you'll come to Jesus so that your kids will be good. And this is what Paul says. If you come to Jesus like that, it's not actually Jesus you're coming to. And he will be of no good to you. Friend, maybe that, maybe that describes some of us today. Maybe you came to Jesus to heal your marriage, and he didn't do it. Maybe you came to Jesus so that he would, he would heal your disease, and he didn't do it. Maybe you came to Jesus so that he would make your kids good, and he didn't do it. Maybe you came to Jesus so that you would find a spouse, and he didn't do it. Maybe you came to Jesus so that he would make you straight, and he didn't do it. Maybe you came to Jesus to improve your depression, and he didn't do it. And here's why it doesn't work. Guys, if, if we come to the Lord with these expectations in our mind, like, oh, I'm coming to him so that he's going to secretly, I would never say it out loud, but he's going to secretly do this. Here's the problem with it. Because we super overestimate what we can actually bring to the table. What Paul's getting at is he's trying to show you this, that we guys, as we've talked about, are spiritually bankrupt. When we come to God, we are beggars. And here's the thing. What the gospel actually requires us to do is to come to God as beggars. As spiritual beggars who know I have nothing. I could do nothing. The upside down truth of the gospel is that you'll never be able to see the beauty of Christianity and true life change until you come to the realization that you can't actually do that. That we actually have to approach God as desperate, desperate, desperate people. See, some of you out there, you might be thinking, David, like, I've totally, like, 
messed up my life. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. Let me tell you today, friend, as some hope to you, you actually might have a step on some of us here who've maybe been in church, in church gatherings for 30, 40, 50 years. Why? Because we actually sometimes, I actually can make the mistake sometimes of thinking that I'm a pretty decent person. And you, who has nights in your mind that you wish you could forget, you don't make that mistake. But the beauty is that God actually accepts spiritual beggars like you. He accepts spiritual beggars like me. And to come to him with something in my hand, secretly hoping he'll take care of this thing. No, how do you approach God? We do it in a way that says, God, I surrender everything that I am. Whether you ever fix this, 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 and this, it doesn't matter. I am yours. I am, I, I, I need your grace. That's what Paul is saying. He's like, guys, if you come to Jesus with something else in your hand, you're not actually coming to Jesus at all. If it's true that you're a spiritual beggar and he is a gracious giver, here's what that also means. And here's the scary part. It means there's no part of your life that's off limits from him. It means there's no part of my life that's off limits from him. Anything he asks, like, I, I, I am obligated to follow. I am his. I brought nothing to the table. I'm not a shareholder. My life is not a timeshare. And those of us, you, you've tasted the grace. Maybe you're, you've tasted of God's grace, and you say, David, I hear that, and I wouldn't have it any other way. That's good news. Maybe you're here today and you're like, David, that sounds terrifying. Hey, may I present to you the God of the Bible who actually sets us free, and finally when we lose control, do we truly find our freedom? So God gives us this true freedom, right? But then kind of the question remains, does this freedom actually do anything in this life? I mean... David, that's great that he, uh, he sets us free, but does he actually do anything? Does this freedom actually do anything? I'm so glad you asked, all right? Let's keep on reading number two. The freedom God gives has some unreal results in our lives. Look at verse three. Paul's talking again. He says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. He's like, you don't want to do that. You are severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul comes to these people, and he's like, if you go through with this, he's like, What you're doing is you are not just severing a little piece of skin. You are actually severing yourself from Christ. It is showing that you have never truly understood the gospel to begin with. And then he says something just unreal and amazing. Look at what he says in verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope 
of righteousness. Now, you might be here today, you might be like, David, I have no idea what that means. That sounds like religious lingo, hope of righteousness. Do, do, do I even want that? Um, why would anybody hope for that? What, what is he talking about? Maybe if I could, I, I could explain it like this, probably the best way. Um, I remember when I was like nine or ten years old, probably, um, my dad actually packed me and my brother up, and uh, we went to this place called Bush Gardens for the first time. All right, I remember we had our little lunchbox. We had like our little Czech sodas in there. Those of you who've ever been to Bush Gardens, it's like my favorite place on earth. Absolutely love it. They used to have these little... Uh, these little uh, cups that were in shapes of, like, monkeys and stuff like that. It was the coolest thing. Apparently, Shelly Meyer remembers that because she's laughing. So, so like, they, they, it, was re- it was a really cool, like, I love this place. And thinking back to that, I remember the night before I went. I literally, I'm like an eight- or nine-year-old in my bed. I literally cannot sleep, which is rare for me, probably. I'm, like, so excited. Like, like tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Like, I am I am. Oh my gosh, I can't, I cannot hold it in. It is what I want absolutely most in the world. I want to be there tomorrow. Here's why Paul says this. The hope of righteousness, what is he talking about? He's talking about the day that we actually stand before God. And get this, just as I was like a little kid, Being like, I can't wait, I can't wait, oh my gosh. He says, what? Through the Spirit. Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for that day. And you might be like, David, what kind of crazy person longs for judgment day? That sounds like something that just to be honest, is stupid. Like, like, like people don't long for that. Like, like, people don't long for that. And he says, no, 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 no. He says, one of the things that you'll see in a Christian, their deepest longing will change. Where they maybe once longed for, they, like their biggest, the thing they wanted most in life, they wanted a dream house. They wanted the respect of others. They wanted a big family. They wanted successful children. He says one of the marks of the Spirit of God in the life of a Christian is actually not found in this life, but found on Judgment Day. Here's what he's not saying. Maybe some of you, you have a, you have a friend who maybe they, they, they think that they're a Christian, but they are, they're a hardcore legalist. Their life is all about rules, and there's not actually even a love for the Lord there. Like, they don't love the Lord. They don't love people. There's, there's a genuine lack of love. Hardcore legalists. They want Judgment Day, too, because that's the day that God rewards them for all the good stuff that they did, and those devilish people over there go to hell. When they don't actually realize that, wait a minute. They are one of those devilish people, and so will they. That's not why. We don't await that day because of something that we've done right. We actually know 
we've done wrong. We await that day because we know on that day, God will give us fully what he has given us in some ways partially now. That we will be made one with him. And every desire and longing of your heart in that day will actually be completely and fully filled. He's like, that's an eager man. You're like, yeah, like that's what I want. Like that, that's what I want. He changes the way we look towards the future. And now, the, the, the cool stuff, the trinkets of this life, all the stuff that's just good stuff, it does not satisfy us anymore. No, no, no. No, what we want is we want that day. That's the day that we want. Why? Because we know on that day we will have him. The hope of righteousness. And you're like, you, you know what this does? I love, because he continues on. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But notice what he says after this. What counts? What counts in God's economy? But only faith working through love. Do you know what this kind of thing results in? This hope of righteousness, this hope for the next life. You know what this results in? Some of you are thinking, oh, David, just, it, 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 it results in like this guy who's just talking about heaven all the time. And he has no practicality in life at all. He's just like totally disconnected from his actual life. No, that's not what he says. You know what it results in? It results in a people who are living by faith through love. What it results in is an un believable ability to love in a way that you were never able to do it before you came to know Christ. Those are the things that count in his economy. Why? Because that's what his spirit has done. It's given us a hope of righteousness. Now what does that result in? It results in a life that is lived by faith, that is lived out of love from God. It's not to earn God's appreciation. It's not to earn God's trust. But what it does is it says, I have been loved so well, and this is how I have to respond. I get to respond. Look at what he has done to me. And you become a supernatural kind of loving person. You're inviting your neighbors and your, your friends who do not know Jesus into your home. Some of you guys are doing this. It's awesome. You're showing hospitality in unreal ways. Some of you guys, you're, 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 you're checking on one another. That's awesome. Praise the You are loving people in supernatural ways. Praise the Lord. That's what he's saying. That every single religion in the world actually fears Judgment Day. And we look at Judgment Day and say, that's what I want. Because on that day, I'll have him. On that day, I'll have him. So once we're free, we're good, right? Like Christ set us free, we're good, right? We we it's like smooth sailing, right? Yeah. 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 No? Yes, no. Some of you're like, hmm. Number three, the freedom God gives must be protected in a Christian's life. It must be protected in a Christian's life. Let's look at Paul. We got a little it's not a lengthy section by any means. 
but it's basically one big thought that he just like concludes this whole thing with. Look at verse 7 with me. This is where we'll wrap up today. He says this. He's like, you guys, you were running well, which assumes what? That they're not now. You were, you, you were running well. Until these false teachers came to town. Who, who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. I love this. Paul's essentially like, who did this come from? I can tell you who it didn't come from. It didn't come from Jesus Christ. I can tell you it didn't come from him. So that ain't even going to be an answer. Verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And that whoever, the one who is troubling you, like these false teachers, these false teachers, they're troubling you, will bear the penalty, whoever he is. I love what Paul says. He actually compares their life with a race. Did you notice that at the beginning? You were running well. Paul does this all the time. Apparently, Paul loved sports. Like, guess if Paul was alive, he'd be a big NASCAR fan or something. Like, Paul absolutely loved sports, apparently. I don't know. He talks about it literally all the time, or maybe it's just his go-to thing. I don't know. But he compares a person's life, a Christian's life, to sports. Why does he do this? Because if you know any good athlete... Anybody that's on top of the field, anybody that will ever win a race, what they have to do is they have to watch with absolute detail what they put in their body. You see a guy like Usain Bolt a couple years ago in the Olympics. Like this guy who's so fast, faster than everybody else, he literally could probably like turn around and jog backwards the last 10 meters and still win the race. You guys have these guys in top, in tip-top shape, like the LeBron Jameses of the world, like anybody, the Aaron Judges, if you're a baseball fan. One of the things that you'll notice about athletes, the ones who are at the top of the field, they are vigilant, absolutely vigilant on what, what they put in their body. You won't see them go to McDonald's before the game. You won't see them skip days of working out. Why? You won't, you won't see them do that. Because they know they have to keep constant vigilance, constant watch all over their life. And if they don't, they will not win. They have to be on top. And the way that they're going to be on top is they have to watch with detail over their lives. And Paul says this is true in the life of the Christian as well. That our daily walk with the Lord, it was not built for the weekend. It was not built just for the weekend. That we have a Monday through Sunday faith. We do not have a, a, a Sunday faith. Friend, maybe that's you. Maybe you, you've lived, the, basically the essence of your faith, is it basically operates on Sunday morning, and that is it. And what, what Paul is saying is that that will lead to death. That will lead to your death. that you were created to meditate on God's word, that you cannot multitask your prayer life. Does that mean you're going to be able to do it every single day? No. Like some of you moms, you can like testify to that sometimes. It's hard. Some of you dads, like you can, but guess what? You're still throwing yourself on the Lord, like 
looking, actively searching for moments today where you can go and retreat to him. And what Paul is actually saying, he's actually saying this godliness, this thing, it is a situation of life or death in you. That if you do not treat it with the utmost seriousness, it is, it is a matter of life and death. And you might be like, David, that sounds a little harsh. I mean, are you sure it's, I mean, that, I mean, I, I, I'm religious and all, but like, are you sure, like, I mean, that it's that kind of issue? To show you that it is, look at how Paul, look at what Paul thinks about this. Is this a big issue for Paul? Look at how he ends this. One of my favorite sections in all the Bible. Verse 11. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish, notice what he says here, I wish those who unsettle you, these false teachers, would emasculate themselves. what he's saying. These guys who come in and say, hey, you think a little removal of some skin makes you a little more holy? Why don't you just go varsity dog and cut the whole thing off and you can be super holy? Some of you guys are like, that doesn't sound like a good idea. Why does Paul do this? Because he he knows it's a situation of life and death. That the Christian, that we must keep constant vigilance over our walk. We must have other Christians in, in this body watch over us. I praise the Lord for those of you who have even done that for me. The God has called us to a freedom in Christ. And that we are to live the freest of lives. Free now to live and to love in supernatural ways that you were never able to do. Guys, I look at some of y'all and I'm like, holy cow, it is awesome how thoughtful they are becoming. Like you, you, you are incredibly thoughtful towards others, even in this congregation. Like, praise the Lord for that. That is not natural in our world. I pray that that would continue, guys. I pray that would continue in me. I pray, God, guys, there, there's a seriousness that, that God, God calls us to live free and to go hard at the same time. Like, I read this, and I just saw just blatant stuff just popping out at me this week. I'm like, I got to put that to death. I never saw that. I got to put that to death. That the way to life is not actually coming to God with my secret checklist for things I want him to do, but my way to come to him is as a beggar. It's as a beggar who has nothing to offer him. But the good news is God accepts beggars. Because we're going to respond as the music team um, to come up. Friend, maybe your Christianity has remarkably been something that just dominates your Sunday and that's it. Friend, that is the way to death. That is the way to death.
you will die a thousand times and then die again in eternity. That life is actually found and freedom is actually found in relinquishing all our, li- all, all our rights, all our lives to Jesus Christ. That's what life is actually found. Some of you might be like, David, that, that sounds good, but I, I like my stuff. Okay, friend, like, uh, I, I know you, you very well, there, there are people, like, we're, there's people who think that. Like, that's, 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 how we got, that's how I thought before I, I knew the Lord. Friend, you might get what you want in this life. You live for this life, you might get it. But here's the thing, that's all you'll get. That's all you'll get. And then one day you'll lose even that. What will you do then? But there's one who accepts us, even though we're beggars. And we know we have nothing to offer. Let me pray, guys, and we'll we'll end the song tonight. Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultrie.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.